Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast. Of course, I am your host, AJ, and I'm so glad that you're listening today on the podcast channel, or if you're watching here on the TikTok stream, glad to have you. We're going to continue in our mini-series, Who is This Jesus? This is part four of this mini-series, Who is This Jesus? Of course, the first three parts, we talked about how Jesus is the bread of life, John chapter 6. Then we looked at John chapter 8, where it says that Jesus is the light of the world. Then we get to John chapter 10, verse 9, it tells us that Jesus is the door. He is the open door by which you must enter in to be saved. And we looked at those three different titles and what they imply concerning us as believers. And so today we're going to pick up with part four, who is this Jesus? Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. We're still in John chapter 10. There's actually seven of these I am statements. In fact, just for a little bit of review, why why does that matter? Why why are we even looking at these statements? Well, if we turn back to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, I believe it's, let's see, is verse 20 or verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So this is why it's so powerful in understanding when we see in the book of John seven different times that Jesus says, I am and then reveal something about his nature as God. I am the bread of life. Of course, Jesus, when he's tempted at the end of that 40-day fast in the wilderness, when he's preparing himself for his ministry, Satan tempts him, you know, turn this stone into bread. And, and Jesus quotes Deuteronomy and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, then we find out he is the bread of life right? The Word became flesh, and He is the bread of life. And He brings to us life eternal. And everything that He purchased at the cross of Calvary, at the cross of Calvary, then we see he's the, He says, I am the light of the world. If you go to John chapter 1, we can see that he that came into the earth is the light, and the light, the darkness could not overcome the light, John 1, 5. This is, this is so true and so powerful of a revelation when you get an understanding of it, that the light of Christ, His truth, His word, His power, His might, cannot and will never ever be overcome by darkness. Satan cannot overcome the works of God. And a born-again believer, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
operating under the authority of his truth, of the authority of the word of God, and in the name of God, doing what God's called and commissioned that believer to do can't be stopped. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the light of the world, Christ, cannot be overcome by the darkness of sin, deception, doubt, fear, lies, deceits, or the work of the enemy. Then we get to John chapter 10 verse 9. A little bit of review here to catch you up. We had a break last week, so I'm catching up. The third part of this series, John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. And we talked about this. In John chapter 10, this entire chapter, Jesus is using the illustration of a shepherd, of sheep, of hirelings, and wolves. There's four characters in this teaching in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. There are four objects, four characters in this teaching. There is the good shepherd. There is the door, really, and then the doorkeeper. There's hirelings. There's wolves and there's sheep. So that's actually more than four, isn't it? Jesus, of course, is the good shepherd. The doorkeeper is the law and the prophets who prophesied of Christ to come. You go through the Old Testament and continually over and over and over and over in the Old Testament, we see prophecies one after another of prophesying of Christ to come. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. They're the doorkeeper in John 10, 3. And then Jesus says not only is he the the, uh, good shepherd that we're about to see, but he's the door. He's the open door. Now, if you go back into this day and age, a sheepfold or a sheep pen would be simply stone walls, maybe rectangle, circle, square, maybe not exactly by dimensions of square, you know, 90 degree angles on each corner. But you understand they would put they would build up these stone walls about the height of a man. And they would leave a small opening large enough for sheep to go in and out. And at night, the shepherd would call the sheep into the sheep fold or the sheep pen, and that's where the sheep would stay at night. And the shepherd himself would sleep in that opening called the door. It's, it's less like what you and I would think of, a door that, you know, you turn a handle and open it up, more so the gate or the opening or the entranceway. And we saw that in the last episode of this miniseries. That Jesus is the door, and as I put it, Jesus is the open door. He is open to all that will believe. And we saw in Revelation chapter 3 that he has authority, and whatever door that God opens, no man can shut. And whatever door that God shuts, no man can open. So now here we are at John chapter 10, and I actually want to read a couple verses here. So let's read John 10, 11. We're going to read a couple verses in a row. Here we go. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, a hired servant, a hired man, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. Verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I am known by my own. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my father. Verse 19, therefore there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Verse 21, others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Of course, referring to a miracle that just took place in John chapter 10. So here we are, John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This is the first thing I want you to see, that Christ gives his life for you. Now, you may say, well, yeah, of course, he died on the cross. He did. Jesus died on the cross, though completely sinless, having committed no sin, born of a virgin, not having a sin nature in him, and then committed no sin. Jesus yet took on the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin, that we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God. Christ became the sin offering. Just as we see in the Old Testament, a sin offering was necessary to receive forgiveness of sin. But the sin offering of the Old Testament was the blood of lambs and goats and bulls and heifers. And it was only for a time. They had to do it yearly. Or they had to do it whenever they needed to repent for sin. But Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for sin. His death, though it happened 2,000 years ago at this point, the power is still in the sacrifice of his blood. The book of Leviticus tells us that the life is in the blood, right? If you cut me open, if I bleed enough, I'll die. Blood is necessary for every organ in your body to operate. Blood is what carries oxygen, it carries nutrients, it carries life. It's the life force in you. And the book of Leviticus tells us that the life is in the blood. This is why death was the necessary sacrifice for sin. Because Romans chapter 6 tells us, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Wage, of course, we don't use that word a whole lot nowadays. But wage simply means the pay. I like to put it this way. The paycheck for the work of sin is death. Just like you have a job, you work all week, two weeks, monthly, however you get paid. Some people get paid weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, by the job. You do a certain set of amount of work as contracted, and then you get paid for that work. Well, the work, the paycheck for the working of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. This is why Christ had to die on the cross. 
because you or I couldn't die for ourselves and actually afford salvation. If we died for ourselves, we would have died in our sins, though we deserve, deserve that. Christ died in our place. And this is what he means here, John 10, 11. I'm the good shepherd, and I give my life for... I, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But I want you to see this as well. The good shepherd continually gives his life for you. See, we are forgiven and saved because of the debt that was paid on our behalf by the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're made alive by the power of His resurrection. His death paid our debt, but the power of His resurrection, the selfsame Spirit, Romans chapter 8, that raised Christ from the dead has made you and me alive when we believe on Jesus. So I would, I would say it this way, that when Jesus died, he gave us life out of death. And when Jesus was resurrected, he has given us his eternal life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as any good shepherd, he not only gives his life once, but continually is giving his life to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a few other things I want to see, and we're just going to work our way through what, what we just read. Notice this, verse 12, it says, But a hireling, a hired man, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Notice this, a hireling. What is a hireling? Well, it's someone that the shepherd hired, but unfortunately did not have the same heart that the shepherd had. This hireling didn't have the heart of the shepherd. And you and I as Christians, our prayer and our desire is to have the heart of the shepherd. We are to carry the mission and the compassion of God. You know, you ever ask yourself, you read through the Gospels, and it says over and over again that Jesus was moved with compassion, and then he healed he was moved with compassion, then he preached, then he taught. He, many times he saw the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd. See, in Jesus' day and age, there were Pharisees, Sadducees, chief rulers of the synagogue, teachers in the, uh, in the synagogue. They knew the letter of the law. But many of them did not have a heart for the people of God. They didn't even have a heart to see Jesus, the Messiah, when he showed up. You know, they're preaching, we're believing for the Messiah to come. We're hoping for the day that the words of the prophet be fulfilled. And then Jesus is like, hey, here I am. I fulfilled the prophets. And they don't even know him. Because they had a heart of a hireling, not the heart of the shepherd. In fact, as a pastor, Ezekiel 34, this is something I read often. And I actually make it a prayer. I'm going to read it to you. As Ezekiel chapter 34, this is a word of the Lord from God to these irresponsible shepherds. Much of Ezekiel is written to the Levites and the priesthood of Israel and Judah, who has fallen into sin and led their nation astray. And this is a rebuke to those irresponsible shepherds or those hirelings. 
Ezekiel 34 verse 3 says this, You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains, and on every high hill, yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. This is the heart of an irresponsible shepherd, of a hireling. The hireling sees the wolf and runs. And as a pastor, and as a Christian, just as a Christian, you should pray this prayer, Lord, I desire to have the heart of the shepherd. I desire to have your heart for your people. You know, as a Christian, you have a responsibility to pray for other Christians. There's actually two groups of people that we as Christians must pray for. We are to pray for the lost that they might be saved. And we're to pray for the church, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Is it the book of Hebrews tells us that if one suffers, all suffers, but if one rejoices, all rejoices? Uh, the book of uh, Galatians tells us that we are to um, keep, be faithful to our own household of faith first. So as a Christian, we need to have the heart of Christ for one another. John chapter 13, 34 and 35 tells us, How will people know that you're my disciples? Because of your love for one another? Our love for one another sets us apart. And we are to have the heart of the good shepherd. Now notice this. And this is a prayer that I pray, and I would encourage you to pray it. Verse 4, I, I, do the, I pray the, the positive of it because God's rebuking these irresponsible shepherds, these hirelings in Israel who've led people astray. And as a strong Christian and as a pastor, I pray this for myself, Lord, Help me strengthen the weak. Help me heal those who are sick. Help me bind up those who are broken. Help me bring back those who've been driven away. Help me seek those who are lost. And help me help those who've been ruled with force or cruelty. Help me gather those who are scattered. That's the prayer of a Christian. To, to have the heart of a shepherd not the heart of a hireling. Because a hireling, the moment something gets tough, a hireling runs. You know, maybe you're a business owner or, you know, maybe you own some property or you own a business. It doesn't even have to be that big of a scale. Maybe in school you've done a group projects before. Man, all right, this might be a little bit more relatable example. People are only going to care about what affects them if they don't have a heart of love. If people don't have their heart filled with the love of God, they're only going to care about themselves. The love of God cleanses you of selfishness. The love of God will cleanse you of selfishness. It will cause you to look on and care for other people, whether they can pay you back or not. In fact, Jesus said you're not really loving people until you love those who don't return it to you. He said, even the Pharisees, even the tax collectors can love those who love them. 
So when I was in college, we had a group project. It was for a business class. There were three of us. And me and this girl, we were, we wanted to make a really good grade and we were committed. And we thought all of, and the other guy, there was three of us, two guys and a girl. And this other guy who was in the group, we thought, man, he's going to be a great partner because he was really talking up a big game and how we're all going to meet and get together and study and all that. Well, <laughs> when we start actually studying, we get to do, get in the time where it takes to put together this project and build it out over the course of several weeks. This guy starts having excuse after excuse. At first, we're like, okay, maybe he knows valid. But then he just never shows up. He never does any of the work. And so here we are, a group project with workload for three people, and two are doing the work. Because this guy thought we was going to carry him. <laughs> this guy thought he was going to carry him. But we didn't play that game. We went to the professor and said, look, this guy is not showing up. The work we're doing is, is by us two. We've asked him many times. He's not showing up. Well, what is that? That was a pure example of selfishness. And really, it was stupidity on his part because he failed the project. You, and as I mentioned, in the same way, if you're a business owner, who's going to care about that business more? You or someone that's employed? You. And your goal is to employ people who will catch the vision of your business and care about your business and your mission, the mission of your business, as much as you do. Who's going to, if you own a property, say you, say you have rental homes, Who's going to care about that home, that rental home? Who's going to care about living in that home more? You or the person renting it? Generally, you, the owner, because you've paid in lots of money to purchase it. You pay to maintain it, to upkeep it. What's the best kind of renter? I rented before. I, 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 the first two homes that my wife and I lived in were rental homes, and we always made a point to treat that house like we owned it. We didn't want to be a hireling. And Jesus talks about that. In one of the teaching parables, he makes that point. He says, look, if you can't treat another man right and treat another man's property right, why would you think you would receive blessing? And this is that, that's that hireling spirit. We're not going to be hirelings. We're going to be children of God with the heart of the good shepherd that cares for the sheep, that wants to see the sheep, each one of us, the church, strengthened, strong, growing in the power of God's might. And there's an anointing for that. You look and see the similarities of what is needed, you know, the sick, the broken, the lost. Well, what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 4? What is the anointing that Jesus, Jesus came in and brings to us as the Christians? Well, it's Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberties to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The anointing of the Holy Spirit empowers the believer to strengthen and help other Christians. And that's, the, that's what the Good Shepherd brings us. It br he brings us his life. Let's keep going. The wolf. Who's the wolf? It's Satan. The works of Satan. Deception, lies, fear, doubt. That's sown into this world by Satan. 
He is a wolf in sheep's clothing, trying to enter into the sheepfold to do damage, to do hurt. And the good shepherd protects from that wolf. The good shepherd protects from that wolf. But the hireling doesn't. Verse 13, the hireling flees because he's a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. Now look here, verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. Jesus knows individually each sheep and his sheep know him personally. The Lord Jesus Christ knows you and he has a desire for you to know him intimately, deeply. And you can know, you can know the Lord. Jeremiah 29 Verse 13, this is a great promise. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Let me read it. I'll flip over there. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Verse 13, and you will seek me and find me. And when you search for me with all your heart. This relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ is a whole heart relationship. The Good Shepherd wants all of your life. The Good Shepherd desires every bit of you. He wants to be Lord of every area of your life, of your thoughts, your actions, your words, your marriage, your parenting, if you're a child, of of you being an honorable child, teenager, young man, young woman, over your money, over your love life, over your church life. The Lord desires to rule and reign in every area of your life. And when you seek Him with your whole heart, you will find Him. James chapter 4 tells us that. Draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you. Draw close to me, and I'll draw close to you. Because I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And I am known by my own. That's a promise. That's truth. I am known by Christ, and and He knows me. I know Him, and He knows me. And that's the prayer that we pray. We see it in Ephesians 1. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, the exceeding greatness of His power that works toward us who believe. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see and know you better. That should be your prayer, Lord. I thank you that I know you and that I'm knowing you better. My wife and I will celebrate 10 years of marriage. I'm recording this on August 19th, early Friday morning. And in November the 3rd of this year, we will have been married for 10 years. We've known each other for 12 years. And yet there's still things I learn about her. Some of her past. Same with me. Maybe it's a you know, childhood past. Oh, I never knew you did that or you liked that or this or that or you went there. It's funny because we only lived about seven miles from each other our whole life. And over time, over this time of our relationship, we have found there's been different times, whether it's funerals or concerts or different events. Hey, we were both there at the same time and didn't even know each other. Could have walked right beside, could be standing beside each other and didn't even know it. You know, seven, eight years old. But as we progress in time spent together, 
we learn more about each other. Our hearts reveal to one another more and more. It's no different than your relationship with the Lord. The more you spend time with Him, the more you know Him. And the more He reveals about you because He knows you. And lovingly and kindly, sometimes, as needed, praise God, He rebukes and corrects and instructs. Amen, Lord. Rebuke on. Instruct. Correct. Discipline. Because I want to be known by you and know you better. Verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. There we see it again the second time. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christ has laid down his life fully for you. Uh, Romans 8 verse 31 says this, 31 and 32. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Christ has laid down his life for you, and he has given you all things. Ephesians chapter 1. I, I've mentioned, I feel like I've been mentioning this verse a lot lately, but it's because I'm studying the book of Ephesians, writing a study guide for our men's Bible study at our church, going just through it verse by verse. But Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life, and He has paid the debt of sin. He has provided to you His life, which is salvation, and with it every blessing that is in heaven. Understand this. Everything we receive from God, we receive it through Jesus, the open door, through salvation. We receive His life, His power, His might, His joy, His peace, His healing, healing for our body, peace for our mind, provision, financial provision for our well-being. He is our provider. You know, some people, they get so up in arms about that, but God knows you have need of money. (laughs) He knows that you can't go to the grocery store, fill up your grocery cart, walk up to the checkout, and sing a praise chorus and do a Jericho march and they leave you and they say, all right, thanks, that's all we needed was a worship song. No, you're going to have to hand over some cash for that, my friend. But what does God say? But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Needs. What you have need of. That's real. That's, that's the gospel in action. What do you have need of? You need joy? He'll be your joy. He'll strengthen you with his joy. You need peace, he'll fill you with peace. You need provision, he'll fill you with provision. You need a home, he'll provide you a home. You need a job, you do do need a job. (laughs) Do everything, labor unto the Lord, he'll give you a job. And not just a job, he'll give you a calling. And then as you fulfill that calling, it'll bring riches and increase in your life because you'll be a blessing to other people. That's what he told Abraham, I will bless you. And make you a blessing. And when Christ gives you his life, he gives you all things. He gives you all things. Now, how do you access every spiritual blessing in heaven? Notice, it's not that God gives every spiritual blessing to everybody. Let me read that again. Some people miss this. Miss this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. 
in Christ. In Christ. I receive what God has given me through Christ by being in Christ. I receive what God has given me through Christ by being in Christ. Salvation is the entrance, the entryway into the life that God has blessed you with, made available to you. It's like an inheritance. An inheritance is laid aside for someone to inherit, but until they have a knowledge of it and receive it legally, it's not theirs. And here's the thing. We have an inheritance. Acts 20, verse 32. Acts 20, verse 32. What will the Word of God do for you? So now then, brethren, I command you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of God gives you knowledge so that you can have faith to receive what God has given to you as an inheritance. You know, you could be dirt poor, busted, broke, busted, and disgusted but yet have an inheritance laid up for you, and if you don't know it, it will never, ever, ever affect your life. You know, you hear these stories of someone, they they find out their long-lost rich uncle had died. It's like, we've been searching for you for 17 years. And he was, you know, he owned 17 oil wells. Oh, wow, I hit it. Yeah, I hit the jackpot. How much greater is the inheritance which Christ has stored up for us But how will you know how to access it unless you allow the Word of God to reveal to you the inheritance that you have in Him? Because Christ has given you His life. He lays down His life for the sheep. Let's go. Keep going. Verse 16. The other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. I want you to say that. One flock, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. Jesus is teaching himself here in this public arena at this feast. It's the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem when he's teaching this. So he's teaching to a crowd. And he's teaching to a Jewish crowd. He was bound by the law, by the prophets, to go first to the Jews and preach salvation first to the Jews. And he's making the point, look, I've come to you as the good shepherd, But I need you to know this, there's more sheep that I have to gather in because the gospel was not given just to the Jews. The good news of Christ has been given to all of mankind. It was given to the Jews first, not only. The good news, the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus is available and given to everyone. And that's what Jesus is making this point in verse 16. There's more, there's more sheep that I have to bring into my flock. And there's one flock and there's one shepherd. You know, some people, unfortunately, naturally, humans, people have divisions based on all kinds of things, right? And unfortunately, that's where we could say we get denominations from. Now, there's probably some good reasons to make a point and say, look, we believe these sets of doctrines. I'm not against that. 
But understand this, all that believe on Christ and all who confess Him Lord are in one flock. They're in the flock of Christ Jesus. And we all have one shepherd. And much of the division that's in the earth is nonsense. Because we're all part of one church. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And there's many divisions that we may put on ourselves and label ourselves. So many times, you know, as I'm streaming on TikTok right now as I record this podcast, generally a question I get asked every time I stream, what denomination are you? And, and you know, I, I fall, if doctrinally I would fall under the charismatic doctrine. But, I, you know, that's just another label. And, I, and I, the way I like to say it is this, and some people think I'm just coming off like a, like a pompous jerk. <laughs> but oh, what, what, what denomination are you? I'm the denomination of the Bible. I'm like what I believe most Christians are, regardless of what label they put on themselves. I am what I believe most Christians desire to be. Followers of Jesus living out the fullness of His truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can give ourselves labels to help us understand where we're coming from when we discuss, sometimes argue, doctrine. <laughs> Let's be honest, we argue it. And probably sometimes rightly so. But when it comes right down to it, every Christian that believes on Jesus, we're of one flock. And let us pray for unity. Let us pray for that. Because we have one shepherd, the good shepherd. Now notice this, verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Third time we see this, the, the, the quality, the overruling quality, characteristic, the nature of Jesus is this. I give my life for the sheep. I give my life for the sheep. Now in this third one, he says, I take it up again. Why does he say that? Well, verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. Clearly, he's talking about the crucifixion, the cross of Calvary. When he will lay himself freely, obediently, if that's a word, Philippians 2, Obedient unto death, 2.8, Philippians 2.8. In fact, let's read it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Christ made himself obedient unto death. As being found in appearance as a man, so he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every name should bow of those in heaven, of those in earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ was obedient unto death. He received the command from the Father. He laid down his life. No one took it from him. You know, you, you can't honestly say, really, I understand people's sentiment. And even it's, you know, Peter says it in the book of Acts. Were there, did, did men crucify, let's back up, did men beat, whip, 
scourge, put a crown of thorns, abuse, mock, make fun of, spit on Christ Jesus? Yes. Did men nail him to a cross? Yes. And Colossians tells us that if the powers of Satan knew what would take place after Christ died, they would have not crucified him. But you need to understand this. The only reason the powers of darkness could have done that and laid on him the punishment of sin, which is death, was because Christ freely gave himself under the command and the authority of the Father. Jesus willingly became the sin sacrifice for the world. What great love. What powerful love is that? The magnitude of the love of God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, I'm, I'm 32 years old. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. I've grown up in church. I knew I was called to ministry at a young age, ran from it for a while, realized that I didn't want to be like Jonah and swallowed up in a great big fish, so might as well turn now, give myself fully to the call of God. <laughs> but I tell you what, I, I, you, you know, some Christians want to talk about deeper revelation. Can you have deeper understanding of truth? Yes. But the Word of God is very simple. The revelation of Christ is real simple. But yet it is so deep and so complex that you don't ever completely cover it, do you? You never get to the end of it. And things very simple like the love of Christ astounds me. The beauty, the magnitude, the compassion of God that He would hang on my cross, dying my death, paying the debt that I owed, serving the sentence for me, winning the victory over sin for me. Three days later, by His power, by the Holy Spirit being raised from the dead so that I could believe on Him and receive His life. Salvation in itself is such a beautiful miracle and mystery that is only revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. It is so powerful when you understand the saving grace of God. Salvation, you know, here's the thing. Sometimes I can get frustrated with this because it, it feels like some people think that salvation and the grace of God is almost like a Band-Aid. This is why I cannot, this is why it turns my stomach upside down when I hear born-again believers say things like this, well, bless God, we're just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You have been crucified with Christ. You have died with Christ. You have been buried with Christ. And you've been made a brand new creation, resurrected with Christ. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You won't find anywhere in the New Testament, any of the epistles, where it ever says, you know, from your brother Paul, from your brother Peter, from your brother James or John, 
by the Holy Spirit to all the sinners saved by grace. No, to the saints of God, to the church of God, to the people of God. Because you're a new creation in Christ, because God has given you his life and he's made you brand new. Man, that's, that is a marvelous miracle that has taken place. What the, the power of that. Thank God for that miracle of salvation and new life. Now let's finish up. Coming to an end here. Verse 19, 20, and 21. Therefore there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Sounds like some of the folks on TikTok. <laughs> Why is this guy reading the Bible? <laughs> you believe in Jesus? That's so stupid. What a fairy tale. I'd rather you read Harry Potter. Look, nothing new. People mocking the truth of God is not new, unfortunately. But notice this, verse 21. Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's jump down to verse 27 where we end. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I have prayed that so many times, and what a powerful prayer promise. My sheep know me. They hear my voice, and they follow me. Are are you praying about decisions in your life? Confess that by faith. Lord, you're my good shepherd. I'm a sheep of your pasture. I hear your voice. And I follow you. I thank you, Lord, that you will lead me to green pastures, Psalms 23, to still waters. You'll restore my soul. You're leading me to the places that you've called me to go. And you'll prosper me in what you've called me to do. God is your shepherd. The Lord, he is your shepherd. You hear his voice. As a child of God, you have the privilege of hearing the voice of God. Wow. Amazing, (laughs) powerful, what a miracle, what a privilege, what a joy. I would not know what to do if I had to live life without having direction by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. But it is afforded to me, it is afforded to you when Jesus is your shepherd. When Jesus is your shepherd. Wow. Pray that. Pray that prayer over your life. Begin to thank God. Praise God. Lord, I thank you that you're my good shepherd, that you lead me, that you guide me, and I'm a sheep in your pasture. What a privilege. Hey, I'm so thankful that you've listened to this episode, part four of Who is This Jesus? Jesus is the good shepherd. I'm really thankful that you've listened today. Hey, if you've not left a five-star review on the podcast channel, I'd really appreciate it if you could. And everyone that's watching on the stream, come check me out. Faith for My Generation podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you search Faith for My Generation podcast, you'll find it. It's an emblem with two hands, with the flame in between the two hands, because that's my desire, is for you and I as Christians to be on fire with the passion and the zeal of the Holy Ghost. And that we would do everything we can by the power of God to maintain that passion, that fire. You know, Leviticus chapter 6 shows us how to keep the fire on the altar. The fire on the altar must never go out. 
What is your fire? It is your relationship. It is the life you have in God. And there are things that God has given us and commanded us to do so that we can maintain that fire on the altar. Timothy Deemer says, then be a priest. Well, thank God we are. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that we are a holy priesthood, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood set apart for the things of God to show forth the praises of our Lord and our Savior. So take his word, be a priest, a priest of your life. Manage the altar of your heart and maintain that fire. Hey, I'm thankful for you. Uh, Make sure you join us next week for another Wake Up Call and part five, who is this Jesus? When we go to John chapter 11, he is the resurrection and the life. It's going to be good. You do not want to miss it. Hey, do me a favor, share this episode, copy the link and text it to a friend. Say, hey, I'm listening to this podcast. I really enjoy it, and I think you should listen too. I would greatly appreciate that because my desire is to build a strong, strong people of God to strengthen you, the faithful. And that is my desire, to teach and preach and study the Word of God with you, to see what God's heart and desire is for us, that we would be strong in Him and in the power of His might. And remember, we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you, and every Thursday I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.